Okay. Okay. I think we're good now. All right, Volguru Dave, is there, um, it's good to see you. Is there anything you want to share before you take questions? Uh, well, not too much. Uh, still uh, pretty much finished my book. I have a few things to uh, go over and, uh, and uh, touch up and so forth. Gorvani, or Shastravani, excuse me, is doing Sanskrit editing, which will take a while. And so, um, uh, anyway, that project is progressing nicely. And um, it's very gratifying to be at this stage of the project after all this time. So, um, Otherwise, uh, it's nice here and uh, peaceful. And uh, luckily, we're very safe and in a protected area as the world goes up in flames. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, what are the questions? Sure. So, uh, Bhakti Shakti? Yes. I Unmuted myself. Uh, do you hear me? Yes, hello. Okay. Dan Vazgur Maharaj, I just wanted to ask a question about um, uh, because Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita that um, uh, when one knows his transcendental appearance and activities, he does not uh, return to the material world but goes to his abode. And then in the Chaturshloki, there is also mentioned that if one knows the supreme like his uh, that he's the supreme and that he's mm -hmm. the um source of everything Parambraman. yes that um uh all the, at first stage it is good to understand his supremacy and then later that devotees are not interested in his supremacy but because they have this intimate love and like what is good to concentrate what type of mood we have to develop and what exactly means to know his supremacy in reality because like I feel like I theoretically know it but I don't feel that, of course I really understand this how how to actually understand this statement somehow is my yeah. question. well I think that um, of course it's an important statement and it's basically um, the um, approach that the Gaudiya Vaishnavas have taken, the founding Acharyas, um, their approach to uh, Vedanta, an, an aesthetic approach by which they've come to the conclusion appropriately that Krishna is the source of all um, forms of the Godhead and subsequently everything else. So he's the fountainhead of all being. Um, and again, they've looked at it from an aesthetic point of view and concluded, well, with Krishna, you can have these types of relationships, such as friendly love, romantic love, and so forth. If parental love does not have any other form of the Godhead, and um, even other forms of the Godhead, like Ram and Vishnu and so forth have there are examples in the scripture of, their, of them being attracted to Krishna, and therefore on this aesthetic basis of aesthetics, uh, Krishna must be the source of um, of all forms of God, and subsequently they say everything. So uh, this is a foundational stone of tattva, if you will, in the temple of bhakti that you're trying to build in your heart, and one of the ways to think about that, of course, is that um, if you want to give and love unconditionally, much as loving is giving, then you have to find a center to invest your love in that can take unlimitedly. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea of Krishna being the source. Um, so he's a, he, he can... Uh, accept love, for example, in, in all forms and without uh, restriction. To love unconditionally, you have to give without expectation of return, but you also have to be to wisely give to where it can be fully accepted 
if the love isn't accepted, you're not going to get the reciprocation that uh, that and that's the experience that giving is 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 the getting. So it's important to give without uh, expectation of return. But in order to do that accurately, you have to find that in which you can repose such unconditional love and it will be accepted and embraced. And of course, then as it is, it's generated out and back to nourish um, the giver. Uh, Just like the stomach, if we give all the food to the stomach, then it nourishes. You may give all the food to your tongue, but that's not going to work unless the tongue swallows it and puts it in the stomach because the stomach is actually the center. So if it goes to the center, then that food in this example is uh, reconstituted and, and in another form distributed to all the parts of the body and nourished. So, so this is something about the important point of Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. And, you know, if you are to love Krishna as a friend or a lover, for example, well, you can't do that with Narayan. You can't do that with um, Varaha, Narasimha. Krishna is the person with whom you can do that. Um, So, excuse me, and he's depicted as simply playing. And as I said before, one who only plays is all-powerful. He doesn't. He doesn't need any weapons or anything. If you're going to play, for example, if you're going to take a vacation, you have to have the power of, of money in the bank or time off from work and so forth. So play requires power. So he who is only playing has all power. So uh, these are some ways to think about, as I say, the, the idea that Krishna is the fountainhead of everything. And having located that fountainhead, well, now we can apply ourselves in, in love in ways that we could not um, otherwise or to other forms of the Godhead. And it just so happens that those, that includes love, it really really includes and, 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 and um, emphasizes, facilitates love and intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so then there's that shift that you're talking about from, you know, Krishna's the source of everything. He's the supreme Godhead. That's pretty uh, majestic and uh, uh, awe-inspiring. Um, but it comes out on the other end as facilitating a kind of love in which that sense of his majesty is uh, almost uh, transcended um, and intimacy is afforded. Uh, the I written I wrote an appendix to my book, a, a, a Bhavanuvad or feelingful commentary on the uh, I think it's thirty nine verses of Brahma's prayers in the tenth uh, canto fourteenth chapter of the Bhagavatam in the Brahma Vimohanli at the end Brahma prays. There's a very nice combination there between Aishvarya Krishna's the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and and uh, the desire of Brahma for love in intimacy. Um, there's a nice statement that I cited there from a uh, comment of Baladeva Jibhusan that in the Golok Leela, amongst the coward people, on the back of their heads is an imprint that says Aishvarya, but, but nobody can read it. What what he mean, what he means by that is they are this is very interesting they are the Aishvarya that love is the highest majesty that's we're putting the two together in one sense you're separating that he's the supreme personality of God that's majestic and then he's not he's just a friend but the idea that he's just a friend that he's just my lover is the fullest measure of Aishvarya hmm? and they're, they're embodiments of it but they don't know it so to speak it's printed on the back of their head but they can't read it they can't see it hmm? uh, <laughs> because in that realm that 
type of intimate love, well, the Brahma Vyohan Leela is an example in terms of this, the Sakyabhav there that it, that, that, that particular Leela is centered on. It facilitates and brings out the fullest expression of majesty. So that majesty is all there in Goloka, in Vrindavan. It's, it's, it's all there. And it's all really inside of the love in intimacy. So, uh, but your asked question is kind of uh, perhaps how to put the two together as a, as a sadhaka. And, you know, when I think of Krishna as an intimate friend, or I think of him as the Supreme Personality of God. He's the Supreme Personality of God. What does that mean? I've tried to explain that a little bit, but I think there's the there's, there's the two sides uh, to that um, in our life as sadhaka. And one is that with the sadhaka deha, the practitioner's body, the tendency is to show Aishvarya. So we don't, for example, interact with the deity um, in intimacy. We bow before the deity and so on and so forth. But this proper application of our sadhaka deha is gives rise to internal life and the citadea in which we can participate uh, in Krishna Leela and intimacy. But in order to do that, of course, the, the, the reverential uh, aspect, if you will, of our, of our practice in our sadhaka deha um, has to have that uh, inner and higher ideal in mind as the goal. Hmm. So, um, for example, we pray to Krishna as the uh, supreme. You know, you offer a lamp. Let's say you offered a lamp to Krishna. Hmm? Um, Asia Deepa, claim Krishna and Namaha. And then the, you know, the prayer in that is, you are the light of you know all the worlds, the Brahma Jyoti. You you are the source. Of the of the Brahma Jyoti, I offer this light to you in the hopes that's Aishvarya, right? Hmm? That as I begin, I offer this lamp to you in in, in the hopes that you will light my heart with the love of that uh, follows in the mood of of your your friends of Braj. So you you, you know you've got, you've kind of combined the two there. So you you have uh, in the sadhaka deya and in the ritual worship and so forth. For example, I'm giving an example of Archon. You've acknowledged his supremacy and, and so forth, but um, with the aspiration to know him in, uh, intimately. There you go. Now you're right side up, whoever that is I'm looking at. Hare Krishna. <laughs> um, Oh, it's uh, it's you. Yes, hello. <laughs> I know you. Um, so, Bhakti Shakti, I hope you're still there. But um, yes, yes, I think. Does, does that help at all? Yes, yes. Thank you very much, very much. Yes, right. Okay. Okay. And also a little bit further on that, of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna. He's Gore Krishna. And we serve him in Dasibhav, so there's a little bit more of respect there, with like the guru figure, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So we worship him in that way, and um, and of course this gives rise to uh, to Braj Bhakti, where he can be served. Krishna is served intimately, and and that's it. Of course, the Dasi Bhakti we have for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is slightly tinged with some fraternal love as well. So it's not like the Dasi Bhakti of, of Baikuntha. But um, it's a little extension on the topic. What else? Another question? Yeah, I just have to mute everyone first. I forgot to do that at the, at the beginning, so I'm going to do that real quick. You have... Okay. Um, can you unmute yourself, Gurudev? Mm -hmm. There. Okay. Okay. Great. Because when devotees were coming in, they were not muted. So, um, Kevin, do you want to ask your question? Sure. 
Good morning, uh, Guru Maharaj. Morning. Um, my question is, well, still being a, uh, a neophyte and unfamiliar with the Bhagavatam, um, I thought it was, uh, would be a good idea and supportive to read it. So for the past number of months, I have been, and I'm just entering the sixth canto now. And, um, and recently read about uh, Jamala and the prostitute. And I have to say that when I read that chapter, uh, my heart really broke for the prostitute wife. And, um, and I think that I feel so brokenhearted about her because it feels like to me that her, her actions are judged while her voice seems silenced by the text. Um, and I completely own all of that being my stuff. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I know that I often feel judged and simultaneously silenced by society and by religion. Um, but my question is, how does one approach those parts of the Bhagavatam that, that uncover hurt in us or that can trigger feelings and thoughts that may, that may even compete with faith? Uh, excuse me, you're speaking about uh, Jamil and his, his um, prostitute his wife. Wife, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that, um, of course, there's this, this, what that story is about is, is that is something quite different. Um, you know, it's not about the prostitute directly, it's indirectly, right. and so she's not even identified, and so on and so forth. And uh, it's really a story about the efficacy of, of Nam uh, Bhajan. Um, but, you know, these stories, in this case, uh, to illustrate the uh, power of the name, um, you know, you just heard in the 11th canto, in the 5th canto about hellish planets and so forth, mm -hmm. which Bhaktivinoda Thakur has commented on uh, uh, by way of saying, this is just really a way of saying that there's a system of punishment and reward or consequence for our actions in the universe without um, literally embracing the details. And the whole description of the fifth canto is for different persons in the audience than the Raj Parikshit himself. Um, it's a way of talking about the, uh, the cosmology or cosmography uh, for, for mystic yogis who happen to, that's, anyway, that's another subject, but mm -hmm. and then you come out of that into the sixth canto and there's the story of Jamil and it basically says, you know, even if you chant the name inattentively, you, you won't see hell, you know, as such as its virtue, such as its power and so forth. But yes, uh, that said, it's set in a particular example, um, as many of the stories of the Bhagavatam are, that may um, bring up issues for us in contemporary society, which is hundreds and thousands of years later, and socially, social sensibilities may be very different and so forth. So I think that you have to, you know, look at it um, along those lines and try to draw essentially what, uh, what the import is and the extent to which the cultural um, uh, background or setting uh, to, the, to the story uh, brings up issues. Uh, those, you, you have to kind of overlooked them. There's something, uh, I'm trying to think what the term is, presentism, I think, is the philosophical term, presentism. Presentism means that, um, that uh, it's thought to be philosophically mistaken to uh, judge entirely the past, this is kind of related to your question, uh, by standards of today. Let's take, for example, uh, I've given this example before, it, it's relative to the, to the moment in which we're living in the United States, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln is known for freeing the slaves um, with the proclamation of emancipation. And so he's uh, you know, celebrated for that. Um, but he is also known to have said, of course, they could never um, hold office or anything. I mean, that's a given. <laughs> but uh, so, so, you know, a person is, uh, is somewhat limited in this world by the time and the circumstance and the knowledge of the world 
and how it works psychologically, socially, environmentally, uh, scientifically, and so forth at the time. In my perspective, the world is always going to show itself in newer and newer ways. Hmm? And so it's not showing itself in certain ways in times gone by that it is today. And people were making judgments based on what it was showing and being as honest and true to, um, well, the truth uh, in, in the case of Lincoln, for example, um, that, he, that, he, that he could be. Um, now we see that, you know, that statement of his was, would, that, that would be considered racist very extremely, you know, you, you, a form of racism. But in his time, he was, you know, the farthest thing from, from a racist person. And he was operating, you know, under certain uh, understanding that was, um, what, was more or less how, how the world you know, was uh, revealing itself at the time, extent to it. So, so I think that um, you had to look at some of the stories of the Bhagavatam, um, like that, and um, you know, I mean, there are other places where prostitutes are also glorified. You haven't gotten to the chapter of Pingala. Pingala is the story of the prostitute, which for which canto that's in, and um, she's glorified there for her uh, attraction to Krishna, and uh, she's also highlighted in the Bhakti Sandarbha of Jiva Goswami's. Sandarvas as an example of rag bhakti, the highest ideal, um, her attraction to Krishna. There's the story of of, of uh, Kubja in the Bhagavatam, also in the tenth canto, who uh, had a similar kind of disposition. And um, there's also the famous story of the prostitute who uh, Bill Mangala Thakur. Uh, risked his life uh, to meet with in the night. And um, it was a storm and he, and nonetheless, he uh, crossed the river in the middle of the night and oh, he went through, uh, he grabbed a rope and it turned out to be a snake when he tried to climb the wall. And somehow he got in, exasperated, landed there. And she said to him, if, you know, what's wrong with you? If only you had shown, you know, so much determination and attachment to, to meeting Krishna instead of meeting with me, uh, which is, you know, all right, but what it is, what it is, it's, it's my profession and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's eternal. <laughs> well, it's, it's timeless, but, um, but your life would change, it would be so much better. And that just struck a note in his, in his heart. And he left that night and went to Vrindavan and became the famous and in his book, Krishna Karnamrita, he pays his pranam to the prostitute, Chintamani, accepting her as one of his gurus. So you can find mm. you know, balances, you know, it, it, there's an instance if you keep uh, reading the texts and so forth. And so that may help um, as well. But, you know, overall, I mean, the Bhagavatam is, is, uh, you know, speaking to humans. So from a, from a animal perspective, it may have problems, you know, even from an animal rights perspective, as much as it promotes ahimsa, still it may be problematic. Uh, it's, talking to, it's talking to men also. Mm -hmm. It's talking to men because at the time, men were the educated persons and in a certain class of men also who could read and, 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 and so forth. And so whenever you're going to, you know, you're a writer, I believe, if I recall. So, you know, you're going to assess your audience and how to, you know, approach them. And, you know, if the book becomes super successful and has a, a larger audience than the one you are particularly writing for, then some things are going to come up, perhaps with that larger audience on the, on the margins of what um, you're, you're, you're talking about. So that's the, you know, that goes with, Bhakti Minotakwa's statement, no book is perfect. You know, and he was speaking that, that in a speech speaking about the Bhagavatam, Bhagavatam itself says it's not perfect. Hmm? Vyas uh, tells Narada that, um, what's that verse? Yat tad visargo janataga vipulo yasmin patislokam avadabhati That this book has imperfections. You may find them. 
primarily speaking about like grammatical, literary imperfections. I mean, it's 18,000 verses of largely of poetry and some prose, like you find in the fifth canto, um, and here and there in other places. Uh, that's quite a, quite an undertaking. So he, it just kind of assumes at the out, onset that there are going to be some um, mistakes here. Uh, and they should be overlooked in with regard to the uh, essential message and the urgency of that um, that's, that's being uh, presented. And the effort to go back to Bhakti Shakti's question, to walk on a tightrope between majesty and intimacy. You know, he's the supreme god, but you can associate with him as a as an intimate friend and so forth. Uh, that's a that's quite a you know, quite a quite a task. Um, so he admits at the, at the onset, as I said, that there may be imperfections in the book, and, and and he's also saying that even philosophically speaking, that philosophy is is a is a flawed attempt uh, in in theology here, really, to to give to to describe that which is beyond word and thought in in word and thought. So I think that in a broader sense, um, the you know, educated student uh, has to be aware of this. And then um, when things come up like that and related extended issues, um, have that kind of understanding to um, not let them get in the way, damage the faith and so forth, as, as, as you spoke about. You can't expect a book that's written 5,000 years ago to, um, you know, to, to a particular audience using certain metaphors, analogies, uh, all relative to the social norms of the time, which some of which those norms may be abhorrent to us in our time, but in that time they weren't and they worked. And there was, there's also a significant factor there that was in place that's not in place now. What was in place in, in terms of the significant, significant factor I'm referring to is the idea of what life was for, what its purpose is, mm -hmm. um, you know, transcend material existence. Um, it, that was just super, you know, prominent and so forth. So the whole nature of our everyday life then is looked at from an entirely different angle. When you take that out of the picture or to the extent to which it's there, I believe in God, but you know, they don't give it a lot of thought. <laughs> um, then the emphasis is on my life now, my senses, my psychology, how I feel day to day, how, how to be fair to others in, in, in this world and trying to, you know, as I've said at times, to make this world be what it can't be. Hmm? Um, you press down here, it comes up there. You press down there, it comes up over here. Um, that's, again, the small um, G good that we try to get a capital G good out of. And you know, the Gita tells us at the onset, that's not going to work. So you got to go to the capital G good. And and so they had that, you know, idea really in place that was, it was spoken to people who already, in a basic sense, uh, fully embraced that. The Bhagavatam is elaborating on the details of the nature of that ideal, that transcendent uh, goal and, and so forth. So uh, you know, that's not in place in the world today. And we're trying to make up for it, so to speak, by any measure of you know, political correctness, which is a good thing, but uh, it only goes so far um, before it becomes a problem. You know, uh, your the, the need, the cry for, and right, rightfully so, uh, um, social justice um, um, today and so forth, as important it is, and it's, even in its even in the destructive form that the cry takes. I mean, that should be seen as well. That's how bad it, some of these people are being affected. That it's so it's so pent up in them that they would react in this way. Uh, uh, it's, it, the problem is, you know, deeper than uh, than the society uh, wanted to admit or realized, and some people don't realize it, you know, at, at all, and so forth. Um, but you know, that's a that's a problem, and you know, there should be 
it should be addressed, but then, you know, you can push too far in that direction and it becomes out of balance in another way. And that's just the nature of, of the world. So it's important to have the transcendental perspective in, in place. And like I said, you can't expect a book written thousands of years ago, even if its message is eternal and essential and, uh, you know, and, and, and relative to all terms and t- times and, and, and place, um, you know, it's giving knowledge like sky is blue. That doesn't change. Um, nonetheless, the way it's packaged, the audience to its to its to whom it's presented, is relatively speaking different than the one today. Today, therefore, we need therefore properly understood. The Bhagavatam is an ongoing, never-ending text. Hmm? Therefore, we have a book, for example, in our tradition called the Chaitanya Bhagavat. Hmm? which is the idea that, well, Krishna has come as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu thousands of years later. He has had a leela. There must be the next chapter of the Bhagavatam. Hmm? And uh, it's thought that the author, Vrindavan Das, is the incarnation of Vyas, who wrote, you know, the Bhagavatam in the Himalayas at the source of the, you know, of the Ganga, um, rewriting it at the Bay of Bengal, where it empties into, 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 the, into, into the ocean. And magnanimity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, uh, is, is, is born. Um, so it's ongoing uh, and, and therefore almost more important than the text is the commentary on the text, which will keep it alive in different time and circumstances. And probably used to say, when you can, when you can use your own analogies hmm, drawn from your own cultural sensibilities and so forth to explain a point you know, this is indicates some realization. Some you know, that you're, you're, in other words, rather than just parroting analogies for that, and analogies aren't, aren't a proof of anything. Of course, they're just a way of trying to uh, bring to light a philosophical, philosophical point, bring it home, so to speak, for consideration. And they're always going to fall short too. Any analogies, it only goes so far, right? Um, but anyway, when you have your own analogies that come to your mind when looking at the world. And you see it from a Krishna conscious point of view. This is what we want. And this is the living kind of expression of the Bhagavatam that's not limited to 18,000 verses or 10 cantos and so forth. So I think that's the way to look at uh, the uh, revelation itself. And therefore we have an ongoing living commentarial, you know, um, succession. Does that help? Oh, immensely. Thank you oh, so much. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I also really liked that answer and appreciated the question. I'm just really happy it was asked. Um, um, Omkar, do you, can you, oh wait, I think I have to unmute you because I changed the settings. Let me go and unmute you. Oh, Pranam Gurmaraj. Yeah. Sorry, we just froze for a second there. Um, uh, my question, me and Shail are here and uh, we're sort of engaging into our new uh, stage of, of traveling and we're trying to figure out, or I'm trying to figure out for myself um, a sort of standard for altar worship. I know I only have Shiksha initiation. I don't have very much knowledge of the whole archan process. I've read some in it, but I don't know any of the mantras. Would you guide me along a little bit what at my stage would be uh, um, good to know and to avoid some apparatus and, or, or offenses and such? Well, I, I assume that you have some little altar that you've erected with pictures and so forth. Then you offer your food, maybe you sit before it and chant and, and so forth, right? Yes. Well, that's good. Um, one thing to mention is that um, um, Archon or altar worship, deity worship, and so forth, um, is uh, while it is a prominent anga um, or limb of, of bhakti, it is at the same time superseded, so to speak, by the more prominent anga, especially in this age, quality. Of non-kirtan. So um, 
uh, in that regard, any items are offered to the deity, they're offered with nam also. Um, just to, won't go into that, but that's part of the ritual language and so forth. But um, if, let's say, in doing the seva to the deity, you make an offense, it can be compensated for by kirtan before the deity. So I'm just making the point that the, of the importance of, of kirtan, that in a sense, it is a complete form of worship itself. So if you have an altar and you, you want to offer your food to the pictures, you can place the food there and do kirtan and, and everything will be complete. Hmm? Now, there is a whole detail, anga and sub-anga, sub-limb and sub-limbs of what constitutes archon, and it can be very consuming and so forth, and um, uh, absorbing and whatnot, but you need, you need the diksha mantra for that, um, and you need to learn that and so forth. And it's not something that's that um, convenient for traveling with. I mean, it's true that sadhus used to travel with the deity. Prabhupada told me many years ago to get a little deity of Gornatai and travel with the deity, keep him in the box, in the chest, bring him out in the morning, do the puja, put him back to rest, and then go out on Sankirtan. So I still do that. I still worship those deities. We still have them, of course. And, um, uh, you know, that's different than in the temple, and you're going to have arti certain times of day and, and, uh, and so forth. The deity worship is really kind of a symbolic representation of the leela itself. And uh, we try to tie it together with the different times um, in Krishna Leela, what's taking place there typically on a typical day of Krishna. And there are songs to sing at those times, appropriate to those times, and so forth. Um, so um, anyway, you're traveling and you have a little makeshift offer, altar, I'm sure it's nice. Um, but I would suggest that you not be too concerned about uh, uh, the deity worship, but to please the the, the deities there by kirtan. Otherwise, you know, you can light incense and uh, um, and, and so forth. Uh, um, does that help? Okay, good. So yeah, and offer some cherries. You're going to be picking cherries, right? <laughs> be sure to offer them, take out the pits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, let me see what the next question is. Um, Pabanavaswami, do you want to ask your question? I guess I have to unmute you. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I have a question regarding Brihad Bhagavatamrita. There is um, some series of almost 30 verses in the sixth chapter of the second volume where Sanatan Goswami mentions that Akrura is, is coming to pick um, Krishna to Mathura, and also he mentions about chastisement of Kaliya, Putana, and, and others, but all this is happening in Golok. So it seems he's speaking about the Aprakat Lila. Well, the general idea is that all these Lilas are mostly like nine mythical Lilas or uh, not constant Lilas that only occur in, in Gokul, in, in, in the Boma Lilas. So I don't know if you could clarify a little bit that section. Uh huh. Yes. So Mars is asking about, um, to put it in a simpler way, um, it's sometimes said there's no demons in Krishna Lila in the unmanifest pastimes, but in the manifest pastimes there are. There's the Kamsa and, and so on and so forth, but there's no demons there. Um, and that's a general understanding that's sometimes um, broadcast. Whereas in Sanatana Goswami's Bhagavatamrita, when the protagonist, Rupa Kumar, enters the Nitya Lila, the Aprakat Lila of Krishna, he witnesses Akura coming from Mathura to bring Krishna there. 
to deal with Kamsa. Hmm? And I think Kaliya, the serpent Kaliya, who was chastised in the uh, Prakatli, the manifest Lila, is also there. Uh, and so how to reconcile uh, these uh, two ideas, one, that there's no demons there, and two, that, well, they according to Sanatana Goswami, there, there appear to be some, right? That's the question. Hmm? Yes. Yes. And um, there's a couple of ways to think about that. Um, one of the ways, of course, is in Krishna Sandarva, Jiva Goswami says that there that such uh, persons as Kamsa and so forth, uh, demons like uh, in the Prakatli, like um, um, Aristasura, or Keshi, the bull, the horse, um, and so forth, that they are not there um, in, a, in, a, in a, so much as a, in a literal sense, but more in a figurative sense. Um, so some sense of those leelas that are manifest in this world is also there. The extent to which they're, to use the term concrete, um, is is questioned by Jiva Goswami by way of saying that they're, they're, they're figuratively there. Um, the feelings of them are there. Uh, the, the, the bhavas um, that they give rise to that plays a role, a significant role in, in the Leela are, are present. Um, Bhavatmika instead of Rasatmika. Rasatmika means in a sense that they're visibly present, personally, tangibly, so to speak. And Bhavatmika means like, oh, in an in 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 internal sense, uh, just like one could worship Gaur Gadadhar and internally feel them turn into Radha and Krishna, um, even though uh, externally in the Leela, they're Gaur and Gadadhar and served in a particular way. Um, it corresponds with their, their physical, so to speak, presence. Um, so um, uh, that said, another overarching philosophical point is that um, as one is absorbed in their sadhana, so one experiences in their sadhana, in their perfection. And within that point is the idea that all of the leelas that are manifest in the world can be present in some precaution, some window of, of the spiritual world. Um, each of the frames of the movie of the leela are eternally existing and can express themselves to a devotee at uh, at any time, um, and so uh, it's possible that with these types of explanations to try to harmonize the two. I'll go a little further uh, with regard to some of the details. Uh, Keshi, Kali, of course, you might wonder about Kali, but Kaliya, amongst the um, adversaries of Krishna in Braj, was different than all the others in that he was a devotee. He was not sent there by Kamsa. He was there for other reasons, fleeing the wrath of, of Garuda. And um, his wives were all devotees and they wished that he would become a devotee and their wishes came true. So he, he became a devotee in the end. So in Dasya Bhakti, so he has some place. Um, when Keshi demon is described, I believe in Bhagavad Bhagavatamrita, Instead of being killed by Krishna, he's tamed and becomes a pony for the coward boys to ride on um, whenever they want. Aristasura, the bull demon, is not slain, but he's he's turned into a bull for uh, pulling pulling carts and, uh, and and so forth. So the, in the the literal sense or the or the exact way in which the leela plays itself out, those leelas, killing of Keshi, killing of Rista, Chastis of Kaliya in this world um, may not manifest, but some features of it 
may manifest and it will play itself out um, differently. With regard to the Kamsa uh, in Mathura, Mathura, of course, is a separate Leela and Dwarka is a separate Leela from the Vrindavan Leela and they're all going on um, eternally. And it's certainly a big, uh, a large feature of the Prakat Leela, the uh, separation of Krishna, which is the full measure of which is found in his going to Mathura and on to Dwarka and so on and so forth. Um, but in his Lagabhagavatamrita, Rupagoswami says that Krishna only went to Mathura for three months and returned, but then made himself invisible for his own purposes. And the expansion of himself went on to Dwarka and so forth. <clears throat> and I believe that um, in the Brihad Bhagavatamrita, when Krishna is described as being uh, taxied by uh, Akrura to Mathura, uh, th three months is uh, is mentioned. That three months is 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 not, you know, many years like we find it in the Prakat Lila. That puts an emphasis on separation as the manifest Lila does. The Aprakat Lila that we're talking about, Golok, the emphasis is on union rather than separation. So the three month period is still Prabhas, it's still the, the, the lower end of the Prabhas, a short distance of time before of being directly with Krishna and not with him enough to bring out certain uh, feelings in the Brajabhasis. <clears throat> Um, in the Aprakat Lila, apparently. So, um, so it's, it, I would say it's there, but not exactly like it is in manifest in this world. And therefore it's not there in that sense. Does that help? Have to wait one second. Here we go. Yes, Guru Maharaj, thank you. Okay, good. Alrighty. Um, and Chaitanya Priya has a question that she asked through the chat, so I have to bring <coughs> up. Let's see if I can find it. So um, Chaitanya Priya's question is, how important is, is it for a sadhaka to understand constitutional positions um, via intellectual practice? I'm not sure what she means by constitutional positions. Do you want me to ask for clarification? Yeah. Okay. You can um, message me, Chaitanya Priya, if you don't feel comfortable. I mean, I'll assume it's like an identity in the spiritual world. So if, assuming that, the question would be, how important is it to be intellectually informed about one's position in Leela Seva, in the ideal, the Prem, in terms of one's practicing life? Um, I think that um, yeah, it's it's important to understand the goal philosophically, and um, and therefore, you know, really what I'm involved in, where 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 this is all all going, what I'm doing this for, and so forth. Without that, with only a vague understanding of that, um, at best, um, then you can misunderstand practices that are have, an, have, an, have a purpose beyond themselves, so to speak, as the goal. I mean, let's give an example. I um, was very much involved in the distribution of Prabhupada's books. And um, at one time I had to tell a leading devotee that who was so fanatical about it, I, that and, and I used to like to hear and chant. And, and there was a strong emphasis on going out and circulating the books and so forth. So I did my share of that, but um, any opportunity I got to hear and chant was, was um, much sought after. 
um, by myself. Um, and sometimes it was presented as kind of a luxury and being selfish or something like that, which is a misunderstanding. Um, so anyway, this one I was emphasizing this and uh, um, for example, Prabhupada was making a big effort to establish the Krishna Balaram temple in Vrindavan installed Krishna Balaram deity. So it was a huge, huge thing for him. Um, it's from his humble beginning in Vrindavan um, as a beggar to, you know, establish a temple there for Krishna and Balaram was a big, big event externally and internally for him. So I had thought I need to participate in this and all the money that we were raising uh, with the devotees under my direction was all going to build that temple. And so the opening of the temple was a big event that I wanted to go to because I felt like this is going to give me a huge bhakti samskar for this ideal of fraternal love. So uh, I should I should be there. I have to be there. And it was going to open at a, at a time that didn't correspond with annual pilgrimage that was um, had been going on for a number of years during the month of February, March, corresponding with the Puneem, the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, many devotees from around the world would come and participate in a month-long festival, um, two weeks in Mayapur, two weeks in Vrindavan. Um, and so this would have been an out of, to go and participate in the opening of the temple. I think it was originally scheduled for a Janamastami of 1976, which was in August. Um, for me to go and to take the devotees on my, in my group would have um, been an extra trip, funding, time away from selling the books and, and, and so forth. And so, uh, but I wanted to go there and I, I, and I was explained why I thought this is a, this is an important event we're working for it. And, and um, it, it will very pleasing to Prabhupada. We want to be there and see him in that situation and get a strong bhakti samskar for this kind of love. That was my thinking, but I was, uh, uh, got some resistance from people who didn't have the same understanding. And I had to say to them, well, you know, look, there's not book distribution in the spiritual world. And they're just like, that. they had never thought of it like that. And they couldn't, they couldn't digest it. Hmm. I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but, um, so, um, here they were absorbed in something and, you know, circulating the books, which was thought of as an extended form of kirtan and so forth, but they weren't understanding what it was, what its purpose was. What was the purpose of, of, of preaching? He wants us to purify oneself. Hmm. You're seeking your own purification um, in a way that's offering help to others at the same time. Um, so, um, it's important to understand, have some understanding of the goal, accurate understanding of the goal, philosophically speaking. Um, that can only inform our practice that much more and help us to avoid um, seeing a particular practice as an end unto, it, unto itself, so to speak. Um, another example of that is, um, there are a number of disciples of Prabhupada in, in his, his institution, ISKCON today, who, who feel that any talk about gopis, love, and, uh, and the ideal in, uh, in Prem is you know, not something to, to, to be discussed. Hmm? Um, and when Prabhupada was present, he caught this kind of drift, although he emphasized not to unduly be preoccupied with something that you're not eligible for at the moment, but to be preoccupied with that which will give you eligibility for that, requires some knowledge of that hmm? at the same time. And when he saw from some comments that this was out of balance, he said, it's not that gopis are bad. So they were so extreme in their um, uh, not wanting to pre be preoccupied with something that they're not yet eligible for, that it started to come out like 
it's a bad thing. Hmm? So Prabhupada, in a simple way, offered a corrective. It's not the gopis are bad, they're good, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, in fact, related to these stories, um, I had in one lecture, it was many, many years ago, said that, that and the highest ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism is the gopis' love for Krishna. Hmm? And they're, um, sometimes they do recruiting, Lalita does recruiting and so forth. And, and some devotee complained and wrote to Prabhupada about it. Chaparamar is saying that this, uh, this book distribution, you know, is, can be can be thought of as in a way that's analogous with Gopi's love and a means for attaining that. And, and they were complaining, and Prabhupada wrote back, and what he said is very nice, <laughs> very nice. So, um, so some acquaintance with the with, you know, you, you have you have your sambandagan which is your conceptual orientation, gives rise to a particular way of functioning, which is called the avideya, the, the way, um, the angas of bhakti, for example. And then you have the goal, prayoja. So some acquaintance with all these tattvas is, is essential. Um, now, the measure to which we're intellectually um, acquainted with, with the goal, that can have its... Uh, um, limits. Hmm? And I think um, what is required in, in the basis is that the, the, basically is that the goal in the form of Sakyaras or Madhuyaras is what's being offered by our Sampradaya. Hmm? And through association with devotees of these temperaments, that's naturally should result in that coming within me and um, this is the ideal, and details of that ideal. Let's say I understand I'm under the influence of Madhuri Rasa prominently, and the ideal is, 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 is a particular type of Madhuri Rasa, the, the handmaiden of Radha, type of a, a kind of a platonic love, romantic love for Krishna, uh, Radha and Krishna. Um, and so this is this is my goal. Now, which gopi, what color is your dress going to be? What's your name going to be? These are details. Now, your question may be, if I may, how much do I have to be acquainted intellectually with those details in order to um, proceed? Um, I don't think you have to be acquainted with those, those details uh, intellectually. An acquaintance with those details should come from revelation through practice um, in the form of particular taste, which should be voiced and expressed to one's guru. And then um, um, he or she can help to, help to refine, focus and edit that for ourselves in advanced stages of practice. Bhaktivinoda Thakur said that one, sh one can't really effectively meditate on the specifics of one's ideal in Vrindavan, um, the form of, of, of the prayogen of Prem, um, without a taste for it, because taste will, will drive that practice. If you don't have the taste, you're not going to be able to do the practice. So there's some measure of eligibility within sadhana hmm, that is required for such meditating on such uh, details um, and the acquaintance with them um, should come from, uh, you can be acquainted with, let's say, okay, you can be acquainted with, here's the ideal, here's the prototype. It's, it's written in the scriptures, it's written in the Sanat Kumar Samhita, for example, the Manjari Bob is like this. The Manjari is typically this age. She looks like this, she just dresses like this and so forth. A number of things are given. That's very kind of like the prototype, <clears throat> nameless prototype. This is the ideal. Hmm? Or in Sakiras there, that can be explained too. So then you have the general ideal. <clears throat> I think that that's useful, <clears throat> helpful. But then the details of that <clears throat> can be filled in by yourself. When your will is arising out of the influence of the Sarup Shakti and no longer under the influence of the influence of the Maya Shakti. Hmm? 
So when you come to the stage of ruchi in bhakti, now uh, you're um, under the influence primarily of the sarup shakti, which exists only for the pleasure of Krishna. So your will is going to be only for the pleasure of Krishna and is going to arise in the context of that ideal that you have imbibed through association and so forth in a general way. And then, so you receive that mercy and then with your spiritual will, the details will be filled in and that in conjunction with discussion with uh, advanced Vaishnavas, the guru and so forth. And then in the stage of asakti, where one is attached not only to bhakti, but the object of bhakti, the object of bhakti here means Krishna as he corresponds with a particular taste for bhakti. Krishna as as a, as a coward, Krishna as a as 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 non, as Yashoda in Vasali Ras, Krishna as Gopinath in Madhuri Ras, he's going to appear slightly differently. Krishna's you have to understand one thing about this is that Krishna has unlimited forms and he's going to appear in a different form to every single devotee. And in that Leela, there's going to be a Nandamars, there's going to be a Subal, there's going to be a Lady Vishaka, and they're all going to appear just particularly for that one particular devotee. And that's an interesting point. Um, um, so, anyway, the object of love is particular, corresponds with a particular taste of love. We become attached to the object of love, that's called Asakti. And Bhaktivinoda says, at this point, then, one is fully eligible to effectively meditate on the sarup, the details, and so forth. And doing so prior to that can be, can be problematic. So I think that we, we, we look to Bhaktivinoda Thakur in this regard, because Bhaktivinoda Thakur was fully acquainted with um, systems that were in place in Gaudiya Vaishnavism that involved for example, giving the details of one's swarup to someone who was in the beginning stages of bhakti, whether they really knew what they were, or, or you know, is another thing. But the person who was giving, I'm saying, but and this was he saw this as as a problem, hmm? and so his uh, uh, and the problem reached so far as say like like the guru manufactured the swarup, hmm? so to speak. But Bhaktivinotaku was you know opposed to this idea and the problems that it caused. Um, it's one thing, as I was saying the other day, if you read a story and Srinivasacharya gets initiated and upon initiation he's electrified and realizes it's root and so forth. Uh, just take that story and then hundreds of thousands of years later, hundreds and, or thousands of years later, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds and thousands, then uh, then someone says, well, you know, so what we do at initiation is we give this root, so we get rid of period, but there's no electrical, you know, explosion that, that, that occurs. It just becomes a um, kind of a lifeless um, ritual. Um, and I'm giving the, the prototype details from books like Sanatkumar Samhita that the Goswamis have drawn from. And, but but Bhaktivinoda Thakur saw this was, this was kind of had become like a mechanical ritual and it didn't have, it lacked substance. And that was seen in the, in the net result. People weren't realizing sarups and their parakya involved finding an extramarital partner, you know, in the Sadaka Deha while dressed like a Babaji, for example. So that was a big problem. So he, um, gave a corrective, and this is the corrective, the approach to understanding the sarup and how much understanding, which I think is your question, one needs to have intellectually before attaining it. And, um, you know, he basically answered that question in the way in which I'm explaining it. And it's important to know from the beginning, the earliest stages of sadhana, what's happening to me What's my, what's the ideal? Hmm. Then these, what are the windows of opportunity that are there in Gaudiya Vaishnavism? Sakya Rasa through Nityananda's influence and Madhuri Rasa through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's influence. Hmm. My guru's ideal is this. 
So, you know, unless there are exceptions to the rule, but anyone would naturally think, okay, if that's my guru's ideal, then that'll be my ideal. So that's what's happening to me. So I think that that's very helpful, that kind of um, understanding. But it's not important in earlier stages uh, to be acquainted with all the details of that surup, for example, that form that you'll be able to participate in, let's say, a meditative form. If you can't meditate, well, very well, then how are you going to have a meditative form? This is like the, the really the, perf- the deepest form of, of smarna, lila smarna. Mm-hmm. It requires some eligibility. So come to focus on the interim goal of nishta. That requires good use of your intelligence and be acquainted with the ideal in general. And as Ruchi comes, then you'll have a natural feeling. Mm-hmm. I've known all along, this is my ideal, for example, to be the friend of Krishna. And I'd like to hear about the friends of Krishna, what they're like, what they do, and so forth, how they interact with Krishna. Hmm. Um, uh, it's, one thing, it's one thing to understand the rasa tattva, the tattva, the philosophy underlying the rasa ideal. Hmm. And it's another thing to be a rasika hmm, altogether. Um, just like if you want to watch a movie, but you're, you're a drama student, you're going to get more out of it, perhaps. You're going to know what's going on, when, and what, what they're doing here and there. So some theoretical understanding of the tattva of rasa is one thing. Uh, to be a rasika, um, that's uh, another. And um, that other rasika, that comes from realization, from taste, and so forth, and that, that can't be, that, that's not an intellectual exercise. That comes out of an entirely trans-rational exercise. So I hope I've answered your question. I didn't get a reply from her in the chat, um, but I'm assuming that it was answered. I hope so, okay. Yeah. So nice to talk with you all, we're out of time, a little over time. Hope to be with you next Sunday. Yeah, thank you so much, Guru Dave. Bye. Appreciate it. Bye. 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 Bye.